If you have a Bible this evening, uh, turn with me to the book of Ruth, and let's go to chapter 1. Why the pagan city of Moab? Ruth, her name means in the Hebrew, a friend or friendship. She is a Moabite, very interesting character. Yet we find her in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Ruth is a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Ruth would have been King David's great-grandmother. Ruth had two husbands, Mahalan and a Moabite. He dies, and then she's going to marry Boaz, a Hebrew from Bethlehem, a rich landowner. Uh, it's a beautiful love story once we get past chapter 1. But I want you to see what the book of Ruth is all about. God's redemptive work uh, towards Ruth. Uh, Naomi and Boaz, in the midst of darkness of sin in Israel, this will be the theme of the book of Ruth. How God went before them. Four beautiful chapters, and I call them chapters of grace. Let me give you some background real quick. Uh, the author of the book of Ruth is unknown. Uh, Jewish tradition says that it's Samuel, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, the time of the writing is either in the midst of the judges or after the judges. And there are those that uh, it believes that it was written in the time of Solomon. And again, I'm not going to argue the fact. Uh, the type of the book, uh, most agree that the book of Ruth is very historical. And I want you to see the theme again. We mentioned it already. God's redemptive power in the midst of sin. I find that interesting because God found us in the midst of sin. And sometimes you hear people say, I can't come to the Lord. I can't come to church. I'm very sinful. You don't know what I've done. And in all reality, it doesn't matter what you've done. We are all sinners saved by grace. I don't care if you're a liar or you're a serial killer. You're still a sinner and you need God. You desperately need him. Let me give you a little bit more concerning uh, these four powerful chapters. Uh, the book of Ruth is considered uh, an appendix by most, that it's part of the book of Judges. Uh, the book of Ruth gives us insight uh, to the sin of Israel, how far it had gone. Uh, the judges were ruling over Israel, but it was a time of sin. Uh, there was spiritual confusion, great apostasy, at the time of total moral decline. It sounds like the United States of America. Right now in America, if you haven't seen some of the, uh, the ads on television, there's a movie that's coming out that's very, they're pushing it. It's called Fifty Shades of Grey. It's all about sexual appetites of men and women. Uh, the book has sold over 100 million copies. The movie opens, listen to this, Saturday, uh, February the 14th, Valentine's Day. And everybody is, you know, just caught up into this thing. And yet we will read in the book of Ruth, in the midst of complete moral decline, we find God working his purpose on his people, Israel. Even under adverse circumstances, it shows us the heart of God. 
as he desires to reach the whole world, not just the Jewish people. He still wants to reach America, I believe. God introduces Ruth to us as the Kingsman uh, Redeemer. And that's what Boaz is going to be. We're a, clo- a Kingsman Redeemer, and we're going to speak about that more later. Uh, it, it's where a close relative could take over the right of inheritance and redeem it with the heir was unable. And you're going to see that with Boaz. We see the true love story uh, serving as a promise of God that he is not finished with his people Israel, and neither is he finished with us. A bright light in the dark times of history. God preparing a family uh, through which he could reach out his love for the world to redeem mankind unto himself. Uh, Through the family of King David would come the Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, the incarnate God. Jesus is deity. And so we want to look at Ruth chapter 1 here tonight. In, in Ruth chapter 1, the caption of my Bible says here, Elimelech's family, it goes to Moab. These are Israelites. They had no business of going to Moab. Moab was a heathen city. Moab uh, was a pagan city. And so verse 1 begins, now it comes to pass, uh, in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. That's why they moved. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Why would Elimelech uh, choose to take his family to a pagan city such as Moab? The word Moab uh, in the Hebrew means seed of my father. The Moabites were a, a Semitic stock kin to the Hebrews, as it is indicated by their descent from Lot the nephew of Abraham. We take that out of that Genesis chapter 19. The Moabites worship uh, the pagan god Chemosh. Now, that's some of the translations. If The King James, sometimes it says Chemosh. But it's the Old Testament mentions this pagan god as the Moabite stone. Study back in 2 Kings chapter 3. The Moabites were losing a major battle at this time in 2 Kings 3 against Israel. And listen to this. Then the king of the the Moabites offered his oldest son as a sacrifice. And so we understand that in the god Molech. And so remember, basically, there's uh, three gods that they would serve uh, throughout the history of Israel. And so here's the Moabite king, because he's losing the battle, he offers his son, his oldest son. And these are the atrocities that we we read it in the scriptures. Why would you do that? And again, you have a lot of culture that's involved. And you have the pagan worship. And we are, are, are appalled by it. But yet, it was nothing to these people. It was normal, if you may. And it should not be. The same thing with us today in our 21st century. A woman says, well, I got pregnant. The boyfriend, the husband says, well, we need to get rid of it. We can't afford it. Well, we have an option. We can get an abortion. Is it any different? 
And so we see abortion is so easily taken. Our laws even back it up. It's not right when it becomes the light of, in the eyes of God. Look at verse 2 now. The name of the man was Elimelech. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, he, his name means, my God is king. And it says the name of his wife was Naomi. And her name means pleasant. And the names of his two sons were Mahalan. And his name means sickly. And then Chilion, uh, his name means pining. Now, when you give the names, a, a lot of times these names speak of their character, of who they were. But Elimelech was an Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now, there's a famine. And so a father will do anything uh, that needs to be done for his family. But did he seek the Lord as a Jew, as a Hebrew? Now, let me give you the journey of what they did. God had already taken the Israelites to the promised land. The journey here, Elimelech and his family had to hike through the desolate Jericho Pass, uh, through the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea, going across the Jordan River into the land of Moab. This was a definite departure, listen to this, from the promised land of Israel and a return towards the wilderness from which God had delivered Israel hundreds of years before. These were clearly steps in the wrong direction. Now, this journey was only about 30, 35 miles. It wasn't that much. But what business do you have? We would understand it. What business do you have going back to Babylon? What business do you have uh, going back uh, to Egypt, where the sin nature was? Not a long journey, but the key. Were they trusting God? And I think that should speak to us. Just because things are not going right, does that mean we pick up stakes and we run? We move back to Babylon? We move back to Egypt. You know, whatever that sin nature was, well, it's not working for me at Calvary Chapel. It's not working for me at church. Gave my life to Jesus, but, you know, I, I might as well go back to Egypt. I've seen people do this. Look at verse 3. Then Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, died. Listen to the testimony of what's going on here now. And he was left. She was left. And her two sons now. There's no extended family for Naomi. They can't go home. There's famine in Israel. God specifically promised uh, there would always be plenty in the land of Israel if she was obedient. It's the same with us. You want God to bless you, but are we obedient to his word? Are we obedient uh, to the Lord? Therefore, a famine in the land meant that Israel, as a nation, was not obedient unto the Lord. Leave a marker there. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Go back with me to chapter 11 in Deuteronomy chapter thir uh, verse 13. I run into people from time to time. Maybe they come in and they want to get some counseling and such. And, or I meet them on, uh, you know, at the store. I, hey, listen, I haven't seen you at church. Well, you know, this is going on and that's going on. And, you know, I don't want to go back to church now. 
uh, people are going to see me. People are going to ask me, you know, where are you? Why do you care about people? You should care about one day you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And the, the enemy uses that. Listen, I've been here 30 plus years. I don't go to the market very often because somebody's going to recognize me. And I've seen it over and over. I'm pushing my cart down the aisle, and then they see me. They don't think I can see it. They make a U-turn, and they want to go the other way. Don't be afraid of me. Be afraid of God. Be afraid of God. That's who you need to be afraid of. But conviction comes over them. And so the nation of Israel was warned, if you obey, I'm going to bless you. If you disobey, I'm going to curse you. Look at Deuteronomy 11, verse 13. Now, the caption of my Bible says, love and obedience rewarded. And if you're taking notes, mark Deuteronomy chapter 27, the curses. Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings. And so it's all laid out for us. It's all laid out for the children of Israel. And so they have a choice to make. So verse 13 says, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command to you uh, today, uh, to love the Lord, your God, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. And I'm going to add with all your mind, because we see that in New Testament passages. In verse 14, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, and the early rain, and the latter rain, and you may gather in your grain, and your new wine, and your oil. If you obey God, it's cut and dry. Look at verse 15. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock uh, that you may eat and be filled. And again, let's add to it. If you obey God, take heed to yourself. Verse 16, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods, small g, and you worship them. How many times we've been reading in the Judges? How many times we've been reading in the Old Testament? So easy they were deceived. All you have to do is go back to uh, when Exodus, they were leaving Egypt, and then Moses is up in the mountain receiving the tablets of the law. What were they doing down at the bottom? But building uh, the golden calf. So it doesn't go away. Verse 17 If you serve the foreign gods, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heaven so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly uh, from uh, the good land which the Lord is giving you. And so, why is the famine? Why is it happening to us, Lord? Well, is there self-examination? What is it that the nation is doing wrong? What is it that you're uh, doing to offend God? Why should God bless you? It's the same thing as parents. Your child is misbehaving. Are you going to, you know, reward him? You're going to bless him? Or are you going to chastise him? And that's exactly what happens uh, when we see the children of Israel. Lest the Lord be aroused against you, and he shut up the heaven so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. God makes everything possible for his people. And when you study the Old Testament, I love to study because I want to make application in my own life. Well, Pastor Bob, we don't go by the Old Testament. 
And yet, does that mean we're disobedient in the New Testament? No. There's a principle here. So let's go back now to our text and look at verse 4. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, another mistake, and the name of one of them was Orpha, which means gazelle in the Hebrew, and the name of the other is Ruth, which means friend or friendship. And they dwelt there, and listen to this, they're in Moab for 10 years. 10 years. First of all, Elimelech moved there. Secondly, uh, the sons take wives there. These were pagan wives. The sons take on foreign women, forbidden by the law of God. On your own, if you're taking notes, study Deuteronomy chapter 7. We went over that in time past. And so then we can respond, well, that's in the Old Testament. Well, I want you to study 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 14, Paul says, be not unequally yoked with a non-believer. Now, in the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, they were not to marry the foreign women. And the reason they were not to marry the, the foreign women, because people right away say, well, it's a racial thing. No. Because the foreign women were serving foreign gods. And the same thing in our New Testament today. You have a believer and a non-believer. They should not be dating. You have a believer and a non-believer, they should not get married. Well, when I get married to him or I get married to her, uh, they're going to get saved. Oh, really? You better not bank on that. Trust me, I've seen these guys. They get a piece of paper and they say, okay, it's over. I thought you were going to go to church with me. No, we got married already. Chill out. We'll be okay. Uh, you have to be of one mind, and that's what it says here. Be not unequally yoked together. You cannot serve God, and you cannot serve wickedness. And that's the key. That's the, that's the position. Now, go back in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you some homework. Study the book of Ezra, and go to chapter 9. After 70 years of captivity... And they were sent to captivity because they were in air. They were in disobedient to God. And so the Babylonians took them in. And then they were released. After 70 years, and the Jews came home. Listen to this. Ezra was totally frustrated. They married foreign women. What did you learn in the 70 years? And so this is exactly what happens. In verse 5 now. Then both Mahalan and Chilion also died, so the sons are dead. The husband's dead. And so the women survived her two sons and her husband. Here's the crucial part of these deaths now. There's no offspring. There's no offspring. Again, we've mentioned this many times. Let me give you some background. The culture at the time. To be childless widow was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged classes uh, in the ancient world. There was no one to support you, and you had to live on generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab and no one else to help her. It was a desperate situation. Not just her husband passing, but now her two sons. And there's no offsprings left. And she's got two Moabite uh, daughter-in-laws. 
What do you do? So now we come into Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. And Naomi prepares to go back. And, and Ruth goes with her to go back to Jerusalem. And, and I have to say this, finally, she's doing something right. But she followed her husband's lead. In verse 6, then she arose with her daughter-in-law uh, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. News traveled fast. Remember, they're only about 35, 40 miles away from the people there in Moab. Naomi heard that God was doing good things back in Israel. She wanted to be part of the good things that God was doing. And that shows us that finally the nation of Israel uh, came to that place of obedience. Our life with God should make others want to come back to the Lord just by looking at our life. Naomi was missing what was going on in Israel. And you're going to see that Ruth wants to go with her. And so our testimony goes before us. Our walk with the Lord should be something that makes others say, I want what they have. And what is it that they have? And that is God. There is something different about them. It's because they have God. We shared Sunday that your testimony is probably your greatest asset. People watch you. People hear you. You work with them day in and day out. You go visit family. They see you pray. They, they hear you pray at the dinner table. I mean, there's so many different things. Uh, they invite you for a barbecue on Sunday, and you say, well, I'll be there after church. And then prior to that, uh, you, you were there no matter what. But now things have changed. Things are different. Your testimony. Didn't Jesus say that we need to be salt and lights? And when you look at salt, what is it? It's a preservative. And what else is salt? But it brings flavor. And I remember the first time I heard, uh, when is the last time, uh, you know, your salt was giving flavor of the Lord to somebody? Jesus said, you're salt. And then he said, you're light. You have the answer. Naomi wants to go back to the salt. She wants to go back to the light. People see you as light because Christ has come into you. Uh, look at verse 7. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws uh, with her, and they went on the way to return uh, to the land of Judah. Now, Naomi, a Jewish woman, and two Moabite daughter-in-laws, this verse sets Naomi apart from other women. People hear of the good things God is doing in the lives of others. Naomi wants to go back to Bethlehem. She wants to go back uh, to Judah. But why the, the daughter-in-laws? They're Moabites. They've seen the light of Naomi. They've tasted of the salt of Naomi. It, it's very important here. Uh, her testimony to me uh, stands out. And these girls want to be with her. But we know that only Ruth takes uh, the charge. 
They wish they could have what you have. People look at that. And what we have is God. Here they are actually setting out to receive the blessings of God. It takes a step of faith. You say, well, it's only 35, 40 miles. Well, how come they never went back in 10 years? And now she has nothing. It's time for her to move on. But she needs to take that step. And Naomi could have stayed in Moab all of her life wishing things were different. But she did something to receive what God had to give her. She needed to go back home. I shared on Sunday, I wish I had what my friend Steve had as he was sharing with me. Now, I didn't tell him that, but I could see his life. It was different. And so these girls see something in Naomi, and yet you're going to see at the end, she blames herself for everything. And so look at verse 8 now. Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. They love Naomi. Naomi loved them. The two girls must have lived their testimony there. Naomi was uh, close to them. We don't know how long they had been married, but they had been married. I mean, they've been there for 10 years. Their testimony of a Christian character was evident uh, to Naomi. They lived it. And I think that's very important. I don't want people to hear, well, he's Pastor Bob, and he's the Bible teacher, and he's on radio. They better see my life. They better see your life. Oh, she's an usher. Oh, he's an usher. Oh, they work in the music. Oh, they work in children. That's great. But do they see God in you and God through you? That's important to me. That's your testimony. That's your witness. Look at verse 9. Uh, the Lord grant you, the Lord grant that you may find rest. Listen to Naomi. Each in the house of her husband. She's telling her, you guys need to get married again. And so she kissed them. And lifted up their voices, and they wept. Here's the compassion. Here's the grace. Here's the camaraderie. Uh, there's love there. And I want you to see this now, as I'm going to read this, because I believe it was a prayer. I believe that Naomi is praying. She prayed for them. Lord, help them find rest. Both girls for their new home, their new husband. Let them have a good marriage. That's a prayer of faith. The prayer has to include rest in your new husbands and your family. Now, parents here tonight, you have unmarried children, even if they're youngsters or you have teenagers, you need to start praying for them. Pray this prayer for them or else you're going to see the consequences. One of the things that Mary and I did for many years we prayed for our children. We prayed for them because we knew that one day they were going to grow up. And I'll tell you what, 30 years goes by real quick. You think, you think, remember when we wanted to be 21? Oh gosh, it's never going to happen, right? I wish I knew where 21 is. I look back. 
you need to prepare the kids. The girls would all drive with me in the morning. I would drop them off at Mayfield, and then I would come over to the office here. And then we used to pick up sometimes one or two passengers. And the girls had asked me one time, Dad, don't pray when we have friends with us. I go, okay. And two blocks before we get to Mayfield, turn the radio off. I said, girls, we're going to pray. And they'd be chattering sometimes. And then i just start the prayer. And their friends would stop talking. And so the girls had to stop talking. And you have to pray for them. It's very important. And then, you, you know, they grow up. They're teenagers. They get to be young adults. And then you go visit them at the state institution. You go, what happened? Did you ever share with them? I hope to pray none of that happens to any of you guys. But... The, the proverb says, train up a child in the ways of the Lord. When he is old, when she is old, they're not going to depart. That's Proverbs 22, verse 6. Notice in verse 9 again, Naomi kissed them. The girls lifted up their voices and they wept. This was emotion showing in evidence of the real relationship of love between Naomi and her daughter-in-law. I believe it was a godly relationship. And yet these are Moabites. Did they change from paganism and, and worship Jehovah God? Obviously, Ruth did, but we don't know about Ophrah. But let's continue here, and we'll see. Verse 10 now. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you uh, to your people. I love the hearts of these two girls. We will return with you to your people. We're not going to let you go. We will go, and we will be part of your family. They have family here in Moab. But there was a relationship there. Naomi did something right that they saw, that they wanted. In verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back. My daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons, listen to what she's saying, in my womb? that they may be your husbands. Naomi is saying, there's no kids in me. I'm too old. You see, the custom of the law was that you were to marry the next son. The next son. And so if they would have been small, they got to wait till they get of age. But that's not going to happen here. In verse 12, turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I would, I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons. And so she's giving them the straight facts. My daughter's go, please. I'm too old to have a husband. If you say I have hope, then maybe, but no. And she's telling them straight. If I should have a husband tonight, should also bear sons tonight, would you wait for them until they were grown? Naomi is giving uh, great testimony. She's giving tremendous advice, much wisdom of God, a wisdom of a woman who loves the Lord dearly. Verse 13 says, would you wait for them till they were all grown up? She's making it very hard for them. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me every uh, very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out 
And here's where she begins to blame herself against me. I believe that deep conviction has come upon Naomi. But I think it's obviously wrong uh, to hound yourself, and that's what she's going to do, and just continue uh, to, oh, man, I did this, I did that. Yes, you did. But confess it and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. What did I do wrong? I hear that so much. If I would have done this, if I, well, you didn't. And that's the grace of God. This obviously weighed heavily on Naomi's heart and her mind. She felt that the calamity uh, which came upon her family possibly came because they were disobedient, probably in leaving the promised land of Israel and marrying their sons to Moabite women. There's two principles I want to give you. In Galatians chapter 6, the principle of sowing and reaping. And then the second one is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, a discipline of God. God does discipline us. And let me read this to you in Hebrews 12, in verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever been chastened by the Lord? I have. Maybe not as harsh, maybe not as, 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 as it is here, as we're reading, but does God chasten? Yes. Let me ask you a question. Do you chasten your children? I hope you do. You better read the Proverbs. If you don't, you're going to visit them at that state institution. There's a principle. God has given you those children. Then we raise them up in the ways of the Lord. And when they disobey, you have to chasten them. I'm not telling you to beat them. But study the scriptures. And if you're the type that likes to put your children in timeout, I'm not going to come against that. But if my dad would have put me in timeout, I'd probably be in one of those institutions. Timeout for us was a nice spanking. And there's something, and I've shared it before, there's something that registers when there's pain back here, it ministers up here, doesn't it? Don't do it, Bob. Don't do it. And so, in Hebrews 12, the discipline of God. In verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. There's a principle in Galatians 6, the principle of sowing and reaping. In verse 14 now, then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpha obviously is going to go back, but Ruth would not let go. And I have to share this. Is this a plan of God? Yes. She's going to be part of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. God has a purpose and a plan. Well, what about poor Ophrah? God loves her. She was witnessed to. She was ministered to. She went back to her family. Hopefully, she took back Jehovah God. But Ruth had a purpose. Did she have a family? 
I believe so, because she told her, go back to your family. But the Spirit of God has uh, spoken to her, and that is to, uh, that's why she clung to Ruth, uh, but Ruth clung to Naomi, that is. In verse 15, and she said, look, your sister-in-law, speaking of Ophrah, has gone back to her people, and notice that it says, and to her gods, small g. Because Jehovah God is not at her house. But she's gone back to her gods. We don't know what happened to Ophrah. I hope and pray that the witness, the testimony of Ruth and of Naomi uh, touched her heart. And she remembers that it's not about the foreign gods. But it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice verse 16. And I love this here. This is part of our marriage vows when we do a wedding here at Calvary Chapel. But Ruth said, Ruth said entreat me uh, not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Listen to this beautiful words that she says. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will be there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also. If anything but death parts you and me. What a bond. What a relationship here. A true love between a Ruth and Naomi. Only God could do this. And by this time Naomi sees it. By this time Naomi recognizes it. Ophir took off. But Ruth is going to stay. Beautiful, beautiful uh, love story here. And yet we're going to get even more with uh, Boaz. In verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. There's nothing more to say. Did Naomi recognize that the Spirit of the Lord minister? Maybe this is a God sent. I shall not fight against it. Have you ever been in that situation? Where you pray, and yet God does answer it, but a different way than you pray? It's a godsend. I think we need to recognize, and that's having discernment, okay, Lord. And not getting frustrated, not getting angry, but saying, okay, Lord. She gave in. She tried to push Naomi. Naomi tried to push Ruth away, that is. Ophir didn't even argue it. She went back. And so, now, the beauty here. She saw that she was determined to go with her. <coughs> Excuse me. She stopped speaking. She stopped speaking to her. She wasn't going to tell her anymore. In verse 19, uh, now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited. Listen, because of them, and the woman said, I think they shouted it out. It's Naomi. It's been 10 years, but it's Naomi. They recognize her. And they're also taking in Ruth. And yet Naomi's been gone for this period of 10 years. What a beautiful testimony. It's Naomi. But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. 
For the Almighty, listen to how she turns it back on God, has dealt very bitterly with me. Don't call me pleasant anymore. That's Naomi. But call me Mara, which means bitterness. Maybe she's thinking I should have never left here. Maybe she's thinking I'm back now, but look what I've done. Am I the cause of my husband's death because of disobedience? Am I the cause of my son's death because of disobedience? I think the the fault falls upon Elimelech as a dad as he took them where he was not supposed to go. Did God judge Elimelech? I don't know. Did God judge the two sons? Could it be that's the only way God was going to get uh, Ruth to go with Naomi? There's a lot of speculation. Now, Naomi, I'm going to give you some insight here. Like so many people, even some Christians, we blame God for the tragedies, for the hardship, for the pain. Uh, And here's a question. What did her husband Elimelech do? There was a famine in the land. Let's move to a, you know, a heathen pagan nation. It's only 30, 45 miles away. See how God will bless you there. Uh, are we going to make a prayer like that? Lord, I'm going to do this. I know that it's wrong, but I'm going to go anyway, or I'm going to do it anyway. And I hope you bless it. Wait a minute. The, the fact that you're questioning it tells me something. Elimelech should have never gone. He was disobedient. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 27, uh, the curses will come upon you if you're disobedient. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings will come upon you if you're obedient. What part of obedience does man not understand? This is one thing that I see that happens. I keep getting away with something. You keep getting away with something. People come and console. Well, I've been doing this. You need to stop. And because they've gotten away with it for years, they think everything's okay. Well, one day, God may call you on the carpet. Well, you know, I believe in the grace of God. So do I. But do we take advantage? Doesn't it bother you? And so I've seen so many people And it just seems like it doesn't bother them. Well, you know, I'll commit sin on Friday night. I'll commit sin on Saturday night. I'm I'm going to church Sunday morning. And Pastor Bob will ask anybody like to rededicate their life. Well, I'll be there. And God will forgive you. But be careful when you continue with that scenario. Look at verse 21, 22. We come to the conclusion. I went out full. Listen to the statement here. I went out full. What is she saying? I had a husband. I had two kids. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. I have nothing. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Yes, God chastens. And there is a principle of sowing and reaping. But God makes every way possible of escape. He makes everything possible. Uh, We're free moral agents and he gives us the freedom of choice. and, And so we blame God. When there's tragedies in our United States of America, 
when there's tragedies in uh, other foreign countries and such, and uh, there's a great disaster, there's tornadoes, there's hurricanes. Why did God allow this? Wait a minute. Why do you blame God? What about the sin nature of man? What about the sin nature of man? Why did the flood come? Because sin had reached the nostrils of God. And he said, that's enough. Why is the rapture of the church one day going to take place? And then the seven years of tribulation are going to begin. Because the sin of the world will finally reach the nostrils of God. And he'll say, that's enough. That's enough. And right now, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. That's why we, as Christians, we need to get the word out. We need to get the word out. We need to get the word out. We want you to see what God can do. In verse 22, I love this. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, uh, her daughter-in-law, with her. She returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning. Listen, interesting. They left because of famine. Now it's the barley harvest. Naomi came back from Babylon. We know it's Moab. Naomi came back from Egypt. We know it's Babylon. We know it's Moab. Returning to Bethlehem. Listen to this. The house of God. That's the word Bethlehem. God will provide bread and a son-in-law for Ruth. That's what we're going to start to see next week. Disobedience causes these things. And I don't know about you, but I want to be obedient. Am I perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. But I want to strive to be obedient. I want to strive to do what God tells me to do in the Scripture. He said that cursing is not part of your life, then don't do it. Lying is not part of your life, then don't do it. Work on it. If you struggle with a certain sin, we've shared it many times because I've done it. And that is go to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, let me take care of that. Let me take care of that, Lord. Lord, I'm giving this to you. Please take care of it. And it's hard because nobody likes to open up. And that's the beauty of coming to God. He's not going to scold you. He's not going to punish you. But he's going to love you. He's going to love you. Look at Naomi. She's taken back, but uh, she says, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitterness. That's what I am. And she puts herself down. And yet God's not finished with her. Naomi has been away from her people. She has been away from her place of worship. Uh, she is thinking like a pagan, like a heathen. Even though she still believes, she forgets God. Is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, keep going, chance. God is in the forgiving business. God wants to forgive Naomi, Ruth. He's going to use them for his glory. Naomi, she lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She lost her home. She is up in age. She can't have any more children. She goes back to her roots, the house of God. She goes back to Bethlehem. No matter what 
your circumstances are. Financially, no matter if there's death in the house, a relationship gone wrong, always come back to your first love. But I have to start over. Sometimes you do. Always come back to your first love. In Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, there are seven churches of Asia Minor. Jesus pins seven letters to the seven churches. He begins with the first church, Ephesus. And remember what Ephesus was labeled? The loveless church. She did everything. She had all the programs, but they became very mechanical at the Ephesus church. Jesus said in his letter, I have this one thing against you. You have left his first love. You have left your first love. How important it is for us to remain faithful. How important it is for us uh, to remain on track. We're going to waver, but come back. We're going to go off to, uh, you know, to the side, come back. That's the key. What was the story of the prodigal son? I believe it was in uh, Luke, what's that, chapter 15? I had it written down. Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. He took his inheritance and he squandered it, remember? And when he finally got rid of everything, he wants to come home, but he's embarrassed. And he finds himself eating the husks that were given to the pigs. He says, my father's servants, my father's servants eat better than this. And when dad saw the son, what did he do? He ran to him. He ran to him. The enemy likes to use that in our life. Look what you've done, Bob. No more. God's through with you. And God will run to you. He wants you to run to him. He'll meet you halfway. Or he'll meet you all the way. Don't give up on the Lord. That's the teaching. And, and Naomi, she was, she didn't ask to go, but she followed her husband. Now they come back. They come back to the house of God. We're going to get some more out of the, the book of Ruth. And so let's stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We stand in awe of your promises. Lord, we're, we're going to learn so much from the book of Ruth. I know a lot of the ladies here in our fellowship have studied the book of Ruth in time past. The Lord has been a time since I've been able to teach it here from the pulpit. And I thank you, Lord, because circumstances change. Lord, the 21st century now, uh, so much sin that's out there, just like it was in the time of the judges. And yet your word will never come back void. I pray, Lord, this, this evening, uh, anybody listening to the teaching here tonight or listening on live stream or later catching it on the radio, catching it uh, on a CD, if we have strayed in any way, we need to get back to the Lord. Maybe we have meandered and gone back uh, to Babylon, gone back to Egypt, or as Naomi, you went to Moab. We need to come back to the Lord. And so, Father, minister to our hearts. And again, we pray for all those that have been 
Uh, so much under the weather in our church. Uh, so many, Lord. So many hurts and pains. Lord, we ask for your healing touch. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And we 